after life is over The afterlife goes on Come on, after life is over Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Simon Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Farat Nehru. Hello, guys. And resident 2SR critic and man about town, and have seen so many films this weekend, Stephen Hill. Howdy, you're still alive, still kicking. So we'll be joined by Chris Evans in a moment. We are talking all things Sydney Film Festival, which is the second final of our Sydney Film Festival special coverage. We're coming at to you on Wednesday at a regular time of 7.30 with a wrap of this year's festival. However, we're here with you to talk about some things you may want to see in the final day of the festival, which is the day around town, or you might want to catch on streaming when it gets released, or just seek out because either they're bloody fantastic or bloody terrible films. Yeah, a lot of them were bloody terrible, but yeah, some of them were pretty fantastic. We saw, we've seen a lot. We've seen some, uh, I think a few of my favourites of the year, if not my favourites of the year at this festival. Some of my least, uh, probably my least favourites of the year, excepting Polar from the very beginning of the year, were also at this festival, so it's a pretty broad spread. We're going to be starting with the Dead Don't Die, which had its premiere on Friday night. It is playing in the official competition. It is one of the big ticket items of the festival. Certainly, it is the world's first public screening after the screening in... Actually, no, it might not be, sorry. it One of the world's first screenings. It's screened at Cannes initially, had its world premiere, and now is screening here. It is Jim Jarmusch's From the Only Loves Left Alive, uh, Patterson, one of my favorites from a few years back, starring Adam Driver, Chloe Savini, Bill Murray, Iggy Pop... Um, there's a ridiculous cast, basically all of Jim Jarmusch's best mates. And it is about, I think, Logan Lucky, except uh, zombies gradually start to come back to life in this small town. Now, I was always looking forward to this. I enjoyed the genre fair, but this is one of my biggest disappointments of the whole festival. It was boring for a film with Adam Driver and Iggy Pop as a zombie. There's a couple of great moments when Adam Driver rocks up in a mini, but this has one monotone throughout, and deadpan works sometimes, but you can't just use it internally, and you'd think it'd blend so well when it comes to zombies, but it doesn't, and I really, really didn't like this. Yeah, I was I was really surprised, because if you looked at the queue that stretched outside the State Theatre, you would imagine that this is a, you know, it's a long queue of Jim Jarmusch fans, and he's earned his fandom, of course, I mean, he's done some great movies, but this one, it's interesting, because zombie movies have an energy to them, which Jim Jarmusch's movies kind of lack, he's deliberately lackadaisical in his kind of way of storytelling. So it is interesting mashup of his style with a zombie movie, which is all about, you know, zombies are coming and everything is action-packed and things need to happen. And nothing really happened in this movie until quite late. I mean, the yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. Yeah, this, dear me, dear me, they're... Every character has the same sort of reaction to the zombies. And Bill Murray and Adam Driver are trying to one-up each other in how lackadaisical and you know, laissez-faire you can be about this. And that's funny to an extent, but even Bill Murray, shtick, and he's playing the same shtick he does in almost, a lot of his films, gets tired pretty quickly. And when there's nothing you're saying about the zombies, there's a great, there's a great film at this festival, a German film by Carolina Hellsgard, Insight Ever After, which deals very, sometimes very obviously fairly, but very interestingly with the metaphor of zombies as nature reclaiming its space. That has been used before, but she did it to quite an interesting effect. Zombies, and she made the point, 
zombies have always been a metaphor for something. They've always been about social change or progression or destruction or degradation. Here, they're just zombies. And this is the sort of thing you'd see in a lot of grindhouse fare, sometimes in the Freak Me Out section of the festival. That's not a dispersion, and I enjoy that sort of thing. But it's usually the hallmark of a director or crew who have a limited budget and want to work within existing tropes people are familiar with. Jim John Bush, this is one of the, he had access to more resources and star talent than almost any other of the directors who are screening at this festival. And to have such a blatantly and lazily generic film really surprised me. I mean, yeah, I mean, just the star cast that he had access to, it's amazing how much of it is wasted. I mean, it, I was just flabbergasted by the fact that you have access to Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Chloe Savini, Selena Gomez. I mean... She was good in this. She was good in this <laughs> for a hipster kind of role. But, it was a bit of a parody of hipster, which, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I think uh, the whole movie felt like an in-joke. I mean, it's, it's okay if you're making some kind of breaking the fourth wall in-jokes in the narrative, but if the whole movie is like an in-joke with your best mate, it's not really for the audience. And I felt the audience was not in on the joke for most of the movie. And things kind of just happened. For example, like Tom Waits' character. What, oh what was the point of that? But And this kind of movie is trying to be more clever than it is. I mean, this whole social commentary about how materialism and how people are attracted to things and they leave behind coffee I know. that was actually funny Chardonnay, <laughs> Chardonnay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like there, there were some funny moments there and I think this film was like you said you know zombies are metaphors or something else so even Jamush is trying to say something about materialism and philosophy of how we like things and how we prefer things to be shiny and whatever and what we leave behind but not really. I mean, it's it's just random. And a lot of things happen quite randomly. There is no point to it. And beyond that, it just becomes uh, Murray and Driver just riffing off each other, breaking the fourth wall without actually being even in the film. I mean, beyond a the point, they forget that they're even part of a film and they just start talking to each other as if they're, like, you know, hanging out. The, the shtick was done so much better with Driver in Logan Lucky to the point of the film's self-referentialism. This is fun to an extent, but when it gets to the point of the Caleb Landry Jones character we haven't mentioned, talking about how well he knows zombie movies and that people have seen every zombie movies and referencing Jim and to the point to breaking, to being so meta, it just gets tiring. So you know that you're only really in on the joke if you've seen the film. I, I will, in fairness, that we haven't discussed the only redeeming and exceptionally redeeming aspect of this film, which is Tilda Swinton as oh, yes, yes. a, oh my God, as a, I'm going to get this right, Scottish albino samurai wielding mortician uh, with other elements that do appear later in the film. And she not only sells the most most outrageous things about this film, but she makes them entertaining. She is a treasure. She is a gem. Please be in all movies because you turned what could have been an absolutely abundantly boring two hours of the cinema into an occasionally uplifting, hilarious endeavor. I mean, yeah, you're right. The running time is also an issue. I mean, it's only two hours, but it kind of feels like four hours. It's 112 maybe. minutes. It's like a long, it's a long drawn out thing for a, a one joke film. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this this was uh, this ran out of steam pretty quickly. Actually, yeah, it's about thirty minutes, and then the jokes kind of fell stale and quite got repetitive quite quickly. And I felt like this was such a big waste of such an important star cast. I mean, you have Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Selena Gomez of all people, and you know these people are coming together. And what do you do with them? And you do nothing. This felt like an in joke, which is kind of part of the problem. Where I feel like, look, the entire movie is great. If you're doing something and there are four or five in-jokes in the narrative. But if the entire movie is an in-joke with your mates, that kind of feels 
like a bit of a you know flipping the bird to the audience. Well, to be honest, yeah, welcome that, Chris Evans. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> that, uh, the early riser, as always. No, but that um, really sums up a lot of the issue of the film for me, which is it has this attitude of eh, whatever. Like I'm, I'm Jim Jamush. I'm respected and beloved, and look at all these cool celebrity friends I have. Let's hang out and make a zombie movie where we're so cool that we're not even really going to bother to try and make a good movie. And it ends with a message of, eh, whatever. You know, in, on some level, I suppose it's interesting that the movie um, is a response to the times politically, and it's sort of a, a sigh of resignation. Um, not many people making mainstream films that are going to get a wide release are willing to go that far with the cynicism right now. But um, Jamush can't even get passionate about the cynicism. You watch <laughs> something like a classic Romero zombie film and you get the sense that he really cares about the about the issues and he wants to change the world for a better to be a better place despite um, how dark it is. But Jamush has already given up. And there are a lot of references to Romero and classic zombie yeah. know, horror styles anyway, but they're not... Yeah, but this everything anything. Yeah, this is kind of a parody, which is all constantly doing nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the audience. You know, don't worry, none of this is real. Um, but at the same time, Romero has already done a lot of these jokes, a lot of the ideas behind the satire in cleverer and funnier ways 40, 50 years ago. So what is the point of this film? It, it feels totally pointless. Like... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, in one sense, I, I get it. I mean, I understand it's a postmodern film, so it's trying to do this whole thing about philosophy of how we don't really care about anything mm. and, you know, how nothing really matters and how, you know, materialism is all that people care about so the zombies come back to life and they But that's basically, what George you know, Romero was doing exactly, Dawn of the, the Dead. You know, so it's pretty like, much, yeah. yeah. The, the, the whole exactly film the is self-referential, which means all being done better elsewhere. Yeah, um... Just one more thing about the comedy in this. There was, even though I loved Patterson, a much better film uh, and a much better performance from Adam Driver, I actually wasn't really impressed with by him and this film. As an aside, I was impressed by Bill Murray, who has been doing the deadpan shtick for so long, he knows how to invest it with a little bit of real emotion. Oh, but okay. no one like else, that. really. Glendon I didn't like Tilda Swinton. Um, I, with, 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 with Bill Murray, I'd say that he even someone of his talent can't coast for as long as he did mm. and it becomes so recurring and repetitive that there is nothing new or inventive about any aspect well, of his Well, that's true about the entire film just in brief I totally agree with you guys when you're saying it's repetitive there's this what I was saying before about Patterson I could see this lameness of comedy creeping into Patterson even though I really like that film and it's taken full bloom here suddenly Jamush is not cool anymore Jamush <laughs> is doing dad jokes and they're maybe funny the first one or two times he does them, all in the first thirty minutes of the film. But because this is so repetitive, the wild know, animals gag, yeah, which is funny the first, funny the first three times. I'll give it. I'll give it the first three times. Same as the dead don't die dag. The, oh God, the, the first yeah. time that song played was f- of the opening credits was funny. Then when it cropped up in the film, it was funny. But to have characters in the film unable to stop referencing it, it's like all right, jeez, oh, you know. Song. I love the song. I know what's behind the camera. There's a song and it's the theme song and the characters know it's the theme song and whatever. But it's interesting that you hated Tilda Swinton's performance. Yeah, I, I loved it. I really liked that's think, a fight that should happen. I, I just thought she's just, it's like Denis Levant in The Mountain. She's here to be on screen doing her shtick and that's it. Like there's no, it, it's again just another person rocks up for the cameo and 
is Tilda Swinton with a character name that sounds like Tilda Swinton. She's called Zelda Winston, doing Tilda Swinton esque, you know, very stand up, right? Do it, do a weird British accent. All right, I think I wish it was a Scottish accent. It's a Scottish accent. I wanted to go for like a British Isles accent, but okay. by the time you're listening to this, viewers, Scotland will be independent. Yeah. And yeah. I was, be hey, yeah. freedom. Yeah, yeah. Scottish uh, albino samurai wielding mortician is how you describe the clan. Yeah, I, 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 I would draw a distinction between her role in this film and the performance of the mountain this was much more inventive we certainly haven't seen the sort of shit from tilda swinton before oh so unlike the role in the mountain this fed much more concretely into the plot and there were varying elements to her character in terms of what she did there was a scene in the morgue where she first played the samurai sword which was great there was the sequence at the end of the film which was ridiculous but somehow she sold look i would say they were there were events with Tilda Swinton. I wouldn't say there was any plot <laughs> related to her actually, character. Actually, yeah, there's no plot in the entire film. It kind of feels, yeah. yeah it's so, empty. So that is um, the Ocean's 12 slash 13 of zombie movies. It is screening in cinemas soon. I think it will get a general release. The next film we're talking about, which is also getting a general release in the coming weeks. June 27th is possibly my favourite movie of the year, probably my favourite film of the festival, and that is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. It's very funny that you segued into talking about Parasite by talking about Ocean's 11, 12, and 13, because <laughs> this is this is like the Ocean's 11 of family films. Yes. It's a heist film with a twist. You, you're calling Parasite a family film. That's interesting. It, it Bong Joon-ho called it a family film at, <laughs> at the end. At the really? End, it, and, you know, with sort of a, a smile and a wink. But it totally is. It's a family movie. It's a heist film. It's a horror flick. It's a thriller. It's a social commentary. It's all these things. And I would put it in the genre category. But to take a point from um, the wonderful interview you listened to between Chris and Bong Joon-ho on the 2SCR oh, page, he makes a reference to how he was he lauded as being a genre unto himself and how he appreciates that. And I think I think that's a fair call given the extent to which he has what he has achieved as a filmmaker this is set in south korea it is about a family who aren't doing so well and uh, one of members of this one of the members of this family one of the two children uh become begin to ingratiate themselves within the lives of a much more upper class a much more well-to-do family and soon that family starts to ingratiate themselves more generally into the lives of this family and things spiral from there as referred to there is a i'm going to say this is a four-act film i'm going to say there is a second third act twist which we absolutely can't discuss it's marvelous but speaks to the class dynamism which this film goes for in so many respects it is i just look this is a strange thing it's a strange criticism to make this is a film that could have stopped after the third act and ended with a interesting biblical point but went on to a nuts and really interesting fourth act which is the most viscerally memorable of the whole film um I usually I, I could wax lyrical about how much I love this. I'm only going to make one criticism of this movie, and that is, um, and it's a criticism you can make of many films where the very plot relies on a character not imparting one piece of information to another character. In this case, regarding the structure of the house, which you think would someone would say to someone, but on that, it didn't bother me that much. If that's the only drawback for this film, I would recommend everyone to go out and see it because it is a masterpiece. Well, yeah, I think it, I think it's extremely good. Um, it's definitely. It's for me. It's probably my second favorite film of the festival so far. Um, I am after not, Pain and Glory. After Pain and Glory, yeah. I'm not as into it as I have been some of Bong Joon Ho's previous films. I've seen the film twice now, so I'm leaning more into the critical side as opposed to. I should give some props to the comedy. The first half of the movie is hysterical, watching this heist-ish plan come together. Um, but it's such an original, interesting concept. It's essentially about a family seeking employment and the means they'll go to. 
<laughs> to get it. Um, but th- what I don't like about it so much is um, that it has a very mechanical kind of construction that where you start to notice... I'll get into this when I'm sure we do a spoiler discussion when the film is given a general release. Yes. But there's certain moments in the film where you can feel that the tail is wagging the dog and plot is becoming... Sorry, realism and characterization is becoming subservient to the way this film is engineered to deliver shocks and twists. And, um, yeah, ultimately the manipulation to the construction becomes a little bit apparent. I, I think, I, I guess another way of saying what I'm saying is that the, emo- the compared to some of his other films where all hell breaks loose over the course of the narrative, the raw horror has felt more real and more anguished, whereas in this there's a remove to it. It's kind of like a Hitchcock film and in that it's this in- incredibly intricate construction, but there's a level of, I, I guess, distance from the emotions of the characters. I still think... I'm comparing it, though, to something like Pain and Glory, which is a, a film of extreme <laughs> empathy, whereas this is this is something a bit more cold. Um, I I take it that you might be referring to the dynamic between the two older male characters. That when, I am. That's one okay. of the main things I'm thinking of. I, I didn't feel that. And it I feel I, it's because that dynamic... There, this film deals with class disparity <laughs> and discrimination and the varied forms it takes meta- and yeah. this and the relationship but those that relationship it's much more subtle and i feel you could be forgiven for watching this film and not noticing how poisonous a particular dynamic is but if you go back or certainly just if having if you've ever been or seen a situation like that i feel you could pop and say or even if you haven't it, it's a film that rewards such careful intricate watching it's not something you can watch casually and it did reveal a lot of riches when I looked at it again in terms of, yeah, extra layers to how that relationship plays out and also extra um, extra layers of imagery and metaphor relating to the divisions between the classes here. That there's a, There is a lot to think about in this. I don't want to focus on what I was saying before is like quite a minor negative in my eyes. I think this film is so well constructed, so amazingly designed and uh, with such creative shot composition and editing Beautifully directed. Because that moment, with the relationship of those two characters, it is required, investment and belief in that dynamic is required to sell a very shocking moment that occurs later in the film. I didn't yeah. buy it initially, but the more I digested it, the more I sat on it, I absolutely did. And if you love, I would compare this to a lot of the old H.G. Well novels. There's a couple that deal with these sorts of issues, and I don't think I've ever seen it managed nearly so well there's a film from earlier this year that also uh evoked hg wells it's jordan peele's us uh that this Uh, is interesting that didn't do it well at all it's interesting to contrast how much better this film looks with a lot of the same themes and manages to strike the balance between literalism and metaphor in a much more coherent and satisfying practical way and practical yeah I mean, I'm seeing it in the next hour or so, so I'm really excited now that we actually have a good film because we've been crying yeah. out loud for an actually out-and-out outstanding film in this festival and you know, hasn't happened. Chanel yet, so. saw it with me last night, my second time seeing it, her first, and she commented that I wish I'd seen this earlier in the festival because by now I'm kind of movied out after watching so yeah. many okay-to-bad films. It's like 
this film deserves better. Which, which I, I mean, it's it's a great thing because you know you can see why it won the Palme d'Or. It's it's a standout movie. Like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's it's so head and shoulders above almost everything that's screened, mm. even in the cast lineup. So yeah. um, two final points in this: uh, the horror elements very well handled. There is a what I believe may very well Amazing be a classic images. image of cinema involving a set of stairs about halfway through the film, which you will absolutely adore. Yeah, just I just see it. And lastly, and I picked this up from Chris's interview too. The production design is and the design of the house Amazing. is so essential to this movie and it is executed so well and i love how the, the open plan leads to sorry there's no real house that they shot on it's all sets which yeah. are incredible this film really wow. could be going up it could and should probably t- you know i don't I hate to make us into a bunch of oscar prognosticators but i was thinking like this is a film that could break out with the Oscars, it deserves like the highest level of recognition for this type of set design. So that is Parasite, which I has an excellent, excellently titled and yeah, brilliant title. Go see it. Next film we're talking about. Should we talk about God Exists? The name is Petronio. Yeah, sure. Um, so God Exists is the new film from Tiona Struga Matevska. It is the second Macedonian language film to screen at the festival prior to Tiona's first film a couple of years back. It is playing in the official competition. It's actually the first film Chris and I caught. Uh, we got a preview prior to the festival. It is about Petrunia, who lives in a small village and her and where a ritual takes place. Every year where all the men in the village try to catch a wooden cross that is thrown into the river and she catches it and she's not supposed to. And this leads to a lot of discussion, dissection of the patriarchal... A lot of hand-wringing and angry zombie hordes. And, re- and of the religious symbolism of this. Oh, great, um, this more is, zombies. This is actually based on, as I learned from my interview with the director, on uh, it's on the 2SCR page too, uh, that it's based on a true story where in this village uh, a lady did catch the cross, but it didn't lead to quite the events, I believe, which ensued in this film. Stephen, what did we think of God Exists? Her name is Petronia. Uh, I, I really liked the first half. I, I was really fascinated by the character and I, and the actual incident. I just thought as it sort of continued, I I didn't think it sustained itself as well as possibly it, it, it could have. But I mean, it's it certainly, I mean, I, I was really drawn in by the main character and that sort of frustration of having the history degree and, um, you know, just, just her position in society. I mean, she got the, also gets interviewed by some pretty awful boss, awful um, bosses. I thought that was a. Co- I mean, I I wasn't so into that aspect of the film because uh, I, I was interested in it at the as it played out initially. Um, I think though it is quite heavy-handed. You you do it does paint a unique character. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who hides under a blanket in the opening shot who's just getting exploited by terrible people because they see that she's in a weak position and she's vulnerable i thought that was really interesting but later on um again it's it's this is a case of feeling like it's too manipulative for me because later in the film this character suddenly gathers up an enormous amount of strength and i think the film's trying to uh sell you on the idea that you know she tolerates a lot of shit and then suddenly she snaps and she's but um it did it felt more to me like when the narrative requires it she's weak and vulnerable to get you to empathize with her and then when the narrative requires it suddenly she's this amazing beacon of strength who's standing up to really intimidating people um and it's just not a well-written enough consistent character for me what bothered me about this film i really enjoyed having the chat with the director and she has very she really wanted to tease out and it's very clear in the film themes regarding patriarchy and how religion is seen in a modern day and the unlike a lot of films have seen the, what the director is going for 
is abundantly clear. However, I feel it gets muddled within a lot of the film due to a character, a lot of characters, particularly the reporter, who uh, tells a lot of what is happening. She drops a lot of exposition and says, this is what uh, where we are, this is what you should think of the film. Uh, the metaphor of it it became it, it it tried to veer into a bit of a fantastical territory i wish it had either leaned into the quite dramatic serious elements or it or the comedy elements thereof because it's a self-stated satire but it doesn't go in either of those directions and therefore a lot of the dynamics between characters who crop up later in the film particularly the police officer um, isn't especially clear i also was very surprised at the visual approach to this film it starts out with a really good visual which is referenced one point later in the film but it's not nearly as creative as visually for the rest of it i found um, there were moments where characters were shown as an aside or parts of their head were cut off i can understand that this may be done to um, show that characters feel disenfranchised or removed but the effect is more distracting and conducive to that end there i agree i don't think there is any real consistency in terms of how it's visualized um and yeah it's all it's all over the place and um, it's, I alluded before to it being heavy-handed, um, but once the film sort of shifts gears and it becomes much more of a chamber drama, it f- all momentum in the plot vanished for me. It became, a, you know, um, a movie of waiting for things to happen, uh, waiting for the status quo to change. It's, in two, it's basically about immovable characters having conversations, but they're not in-depth enough um, or philosophically rich enough to uh, actually hold your attention or progress things. It just becomes like, repeat the status quo, repeat the status quo. And uh, it's like with Slam, you know, when you paint anyone, uh, people with such a broad brush, and that it's insulting when it's that obvious who the good guys and the bad guys are. We're talking about a favorite film again, Slam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. No, I, 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 I definitely agree with that. And there's, there's, you know, the second half of the film, particularly, and there's, I mean, there's a really interesting, could have been an interesting dynamic of her in the police station, but yet that just seems so contrived. Mm. Um, that could have been developed. And as I said, the, 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 the reporter, the, you know, the, the sort of, we've, we've, seen that, we've seen it in so many films, done so much better. Yeah, it's the, a character who exists to speak to the, the screen mm-hmm. about the ideas of the film which were abundantly obvious yeah it was yeah, it this is the director's yeah. sister yes mm. yeah so it's it's almost like casting someone close to you to explain your points and this film has that kind of sincerity where i would rather that there were more less thought put into yeah, always being on point with the message yeah. and more into creating an actually satisfying drama and would have been more interesting if it kind of had lingered in the subtext and it would have mm. more sort of subtly sort of slowly sort of organically thing and we may have had a much more interesting idea of this character of of the of petrunia's uh Petrushka's actual relationship mm. with it but but but, we, but once you sort of just geared up it just became a sort of a sort of a sort of mad chase sort of film rather than Sort of a much sort of more interesting, and there are some much more interesting films about patriarchy that have been shown at the film festival. That, you know, that really have explored very, very well. Yeah, yeah. I think we're about to talk about it in a minute. <laughs> this film is also uh, one that follows the trend of a really uh, irrelevant love interests being thrown in. I guess to provide some kind of uplift to the to this story, mm. but it's so half-hearted and underdeveloped. But it's just, what's the point? 
And I was sold on this just because it's a great premise. It's an original premise that they've done well. Um, The execution didn't match, sadly. That is God Exists in Amos Petrania. It is being distributed by Palace Films, so it will get a general release. Of all the films to buy the rights to. Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ indeed, because God exists, right? God (laughs) exists. Yeah. Um, the next film we are talking about is the one Turkish film I call it the festival I try to catch a Turkish film every year and that is Sybil it is starring I'm just going to bring up the actress's name she was phenomenal um, she was in a film called Taksim Holdem a couple of years ago which is hilarious if you've ever hang out of the party scene in Turkey it is about a young woman who is mute who lives in a small village where her father is the mayor she is quite rebellious and she spends a lot of her time in the forest and in the country, you know, doing hu- hunting. So a bit of Katniss Everdeen situation going on here. And she Katniss then... Katniss Everdeen. Yeah, there's plenty... There's some stylistic Ellen's Hunger Games that you'll notice. And she comes across a man who has been running through the forest and we don't really know what he's there for, who he's there, but she, and she's he's injured and she begins to care for this individual as she begins to learn more about him. It is about the dynamics in rural Turkey between um, regarding women and religion, but also with regards to this particular woman who, as mentioned, is mute and communicates via whistling, just like another film that we reviewed last week, which I think, <laughs> yeah, there's okay. a lot of whistling in this This festival. is very different sort of whistling, that, yes. But what I, what I really found fascinating about this film also is uh, how her actual st- her actual outsider status, in one sense, of of having the the mute being able to only communicate through whistle and and being this outsider, kind of positioned her in a different way in the role of the patriarchy. I think that was one of the really interesting things was that in in one sense, as much as that means that she is in certain ways pitied by by certain characters, she is. To some way, able to sort of elude the sort of the the sort of feminine gender roles in some ways, but it's not. There's a sort of a loose, a sort of a weakening of the sort of patriarchal ties. I thought that was a really interesting thing, and that relationship that then she has with her with with the father character. I thought that was actually really interesting. I think you were impressed by the female protagonist's uh, performance, right? Some, some Do tell us more about someone that. Someone does man. She was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, doing that sort of role, it's mm-hmm. hard, particularly. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of roles where you have to communicate um, with the traditional language. Only we saw the whistlers. Um, it's probably the more one of the more redeeming aspects. Now I reflect on the Shape of Water, and this she was she was exceptional. I really want to see her in more films. Um, I liked the dynamic between her and the father much more than I liked between her and the man who comes to the forest. I feel that, mm-hmm. and I, I appreciate the film in that respect because it didn't go in the archetypal direction that the events of the film suggest. Um, furthermore, the dynamic it became a family film, and her relationship with her sister, sisters, I should say, mm-hmm. and her father's relationship. The father was an incredibly well-drawn character, and there's a subplot involving the father, which you could think is completely extraneous, but it does speak to how um, I think there are such egregious and distinct expectations and treatment of women mm-hmm. in this part of the world, and certainly in this village, than compared to their male counterparts. What you're describing actually reminds me of Mustang, which was another interesting film. Yeah, that was a very about, good film you know, a few years ago, yeah. Especially about female camaraderie and relationships and how yeah. that brings people out of, out of oppression from that environment. Yeah. So it's interesting, yeah. This, this I mean, seems the, like b- both, of, both the Turkish films had very, very good exploration of patriarchal themes. Um, also, The Tale of Three Sisters, which screened earlier in the, the festival, similarly had a very interesting dynamic of how the, the three women within the, thing, within the story all 
lack the ability to, to obtain autonomy and they, I mean this and also that trapped within the the village they're very much stuck within the sort of femi- feminine duty keeping roles and a, a tale of three sisters I found it is very thematically interesting and um, it kept my attention more than a lot of the drama films that have been screened at the festival but I still I get I think I maybe found it a little bit too soap opera going through the motions ish like not like it doesn't have the intensity that it could. it's going for a somewhat lighter film, but I feel like this kind of material might have been better served with the kind of intensity you see in something like a Nuri Bilge Shailan film. Yeah, mm. but at, at least I'm, I'm happy that it's not just going for oppression porn, which a lot of these narratives no. kind of oh, go yeah. for. Speaking and I of think, which, Monos. I got to see Monos. Uh, we'll talk about Monos. Yeah. Um, two, I guess, final points of this movie. Uh, I found. Some of the individual images they captured were gorgeous, certainly when it required a pastel sort of stiche, but then whenever they required a real depth of field within the environment, I felt it was very, uh, it was much more hazy, literally. Uh, and then with regards to the ending, I appreciated what the points this film wanted to make. I feel it was a bit of a God exists situation where they wanted to go in this direction, they were foreshadowing this, and it, they rounded up very quickly there wasn't ever so much as in- anything as interesting as the first and second dynamics between Sybil and the members of her family and I wish yeah. they'd develop that more rather than go for a alright boom boom ending yeah um, that, that would be my, 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 one of my frustrations too is just just the ending and that also the that the actress the sort of we have this sort of transformation which is a little bit frustrating that you know gradually she becomes more and more beautiful as the film progresses I just didn't think that was actually necessary like I thought it was quite interesting like looking at the way that through power and the way that she have to gradually you know remove the hijab or move it a little higher and and, and look at the way that she's you know they're trying to assert uh, a little bit greater control over herself but just the the way that then she became this 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 um, object of beauty at the I didn't think it was necessary. I, I just thought it could, could be kept a little bit understated at the end. I didn't. I didn't actually perceive that so closely throughout. I mean, there was an emphasis on her appearance. Certainly, the actress mm. is very traditionally attractive, mm. and was throughout the, the entire film. I feel that the one scene where they really did draw attention to her physical appearance was the first scene where she puts on makeup. It's actually a really emotional scene because mm. the characters never put on makeup before. Because a sister who's a pretty lousy human being can never help with it, and this leads to a pretty confronting sequence. So. Uh, yeah, I, I I had a similar thing, but I, t- I, t- I think I, t- had a, I had different takeaways for you to this movie. Uh, it's interesting, actually, and I think a lot of traditionally attractive uh, actors face that, where they can't help with the fact that they are actually just attractive. So, you know, are they doing that and are directors drawing attention to it or just the fact that they're attractive and then they have to play it down and when they just then not played that aspect of themselves down, that becomes more apparent... So I think it's a double-edged sword because sometimes if somebody is traditionally attractive and they try to, like, you know, in the narrative, hide it and then then they try to not hide it, then becomes, you know, a sore sticking point sometimes. It reminds you of the line the Dawn character had in Wonder Woman when she gets the Diana Prince name and they're shopping in, I think it's Gowing or something, and she says, nothing you put on her is going to hide the fact that it's Gal Gadot. Um, but I don't. I, but yeah, having said true. that, I don't think that, that, that's not just with this film. Really, I think the only scene where they really draw attention to her appearance um, was the makeup scene. I think the emphasis was sadly and true to life on the fact that um, she was moot and the real life repercussions that this had regarding her relationships with others, her ability to interact within the village, and um, how she is seen and perceived and undervalued within the society. Um, that is Sybil. Um, and also, just very briefly, also, I just thought that was interesting too. The the the, the how she, 
how she sort of echoes her father's role by being allowed to be the hunter. I just thought that was quite an interesting thing, and the the, the use of, of whistling and a sort of there there was a sort of a, 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 a dynamic, a sort of a more sort of ecologically rounded sort of dynamic in the character. That I just thought added a little bit another rather interesting layer that you know, maybe if it could have been sort of broadened out a little bit more but yeah. well that's what I love because the, the, the father was a quite interesting character he wasn't a one note mm, yeah. um, we, we need you to conform to this um, the emphasis was made the fact that he didn't have any sons and that she may have fulfilled the quote unquote typical son role and as he starts to feel traditional pressure mount on him he starts to exert that on her and he certainly that wasn't what he's at least as we perceived in the first and second acts what he is inclined to do and it made for a really good dynamic. And I hope it gets a general... It might yeah, get a general I hope release. so too, yeah. I thought it was a very satisfying film, yes. So that is Sybil. The next one, do we want to talk about Monos? Is that- uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it because I hated this film so much and my hate has grown on reflection. <laughs> so I was, I'm always happy to hear have more arguments slash discussions about how bad this film was. Do you hate so- this more than Slam? No. No. Oh. I, don't, I, I didn't... It doesn't, I, get, I didn't, damn it. doesn't get Slam. Damn it. No, I don't hate it as much as Slam. Um... Been, I saw Undog yesterday, which was pretty. I really like, wanted to see that. It's actually pretty like whatever, but I was just thinking, you know, at least it's not as bad as Monos. Okay, like Monos is the new. It's don't get me wrong, Undog is way better than Monos. Monos has just become the new yardstick for bad. All right, Monos is a. I bought one of the more device films, the festival to recap. It's a Colombian film about a group of child soldiers and what they get up to in the jungle. Um, I'm going to say what I liked about this film first, and that is that it is almost entirely situated in the jungle environment, and it made you feel it, made you uncomfortable. There's a sequence where a character is just sitting there, and a fly lands on them, and they don't react. And I feel that was one of the, oh, yes, um, similar to Daniel Radcliffe in Jungle, or The Lost City of Z, where you got a real idea of what it's like to be in this environment. But for all the focus on the senses in this film, and it's constantly trying to rattle you with shocks visually and orally, um, I don't think that the immersion in this foreign location was as strong as in the Nightingale, which is a much more conventional approach. No, I, I oh no, I, I would say Nightingale is much more better executed than this. Um, I would just, I'll just, just say Jungle Mossy Z is better too. Just just in terms of transporting you into this forest or jungle environment, you know, and you're alone with your senses. I think um, even even a few shots in the Dead Don't Die, like the one looking up at the trees, up at the up at the moon, very Twin Peaks-ish, as a lot of the Don't Die was. Um, I would say those sorts of things were even more effective than Monos. You know, I, I think Monos was so over-directed that it ends up like everything's being, like everything's put turned up to 11 all the time. So after a while, you don't start to feel much and it settles into a pattern that feels a little bit like misery porn. Like, look at how extreme and horrible everything is. You know, child soldiers... All right, the world sucks. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of these child soldiers, none of them were at all developed. The Doctor, I feel, was a developed character, and she was interesting. Stephen mentioned last episode. Um, th- it's interesting how it kind of plays with gender a little bit. I think that's one of the few yeah, interesting the, things the, about the, the gender film. and the whole, whole idea of having to take, have permission to have a relationship. Mm. I, I quite thought fascinating with the naming of the characters. Rambo, and, yes. yeah, that, 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 lady, that, yeah. yeah, and you could see the sort of Bigfoot, and so you had these it, kind it's, of. Interesting, it's always slightly ironic those, yeah. those names they had. Yeah. I so what look I have a strange criticism of this film I feel there is the entire two first acts dramatically speaking are strangely unnecessary when you have a film dealing with child soldiers I could just as well have watched this as a 20 minute short beginning at the commencement of the third act the scene in the pool I'm referring to and then capping the last kind of the last five minutes of the movie and it would have meant you actually would have learned a little bit less about the characters but it would have made the intrinsic dynamic between characters who um, either want to are invested in this 
or want to get out much more interesting. Something that you notice when you spend this much time at a festival is how many of these art movies are really just short films that have been expanded out for funding because it has to be a feature. But people don't necessarily have enough ideas to actually fill a feature. And so we end up with these prolonged tone experiments of you know just hitting you with the same tools over and over again. Yeah, I I wouldn't recommend Monos. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it will get a general release. It's not. It's a play, play in the competition. It, yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the competition. Okay. No, this, Ian, oh. Ian predicted um, last episode, possibly after the recording, uh, off the air to us that it would win the official competition, and my God, let's hope not. I actually, while we're, do we want to do our picks on what could be in the official competition now yeah now. i guess yeah. because it's the lot we can and we can discuss what we think should have won next should episode won. yeah um, um i'm going to say either dirty guide or the souvenir probably dirty guide but the souvenir would be a nice dark horse surprise i'm just bringing up the films in the official competition um god exists i think could very well do it never look away is um never look away probably is the best film in the festival, maybe Pain and Glory. No. I'm, I'm stuck Never on. Look away, especially is the kind of thing you don't need to give a prize to because it's so conventional. It's so like it has aspects of it like it's dragged down by how safe it is. It's a very good film, but I think that there's you that's such an epic. I, I think I think there is a criteria of ambitiousness in in the and official. This, oh, it's absolutely no, 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 no. Never look away. It's absolutely ambitious. It's ambitious in terms of um, giving you a, a David Lean esque kind of scope. But it's not ambitious in terms of the filmmaking and the approach to how emotions and bonds are made with the audience. It's very much like kind of, here's the Hollywood music playing while, you know, a beautiful guy closes his eyes and there's like the light on his face and the twinkling music and it's Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind. You know, it has those that kind of touch to it. And that, I think, drags it down. I think budget for, for, for what we get for budget, I feel oh, God exists. Uh, um, but What about Dirty God? So, so, so what I say? Sorry, Dirty God is what I meant. So not God, uh, just Dirty no, God. Sorry, um, so many God uh, movies. No, not God exists. <laughs> dirty God. Um, Never look away. I feel it deals with like Pain and Glory does, exceptionally issues of how art and biography are perceived. Pain and Glory. I appreciated that in a visual sense. I appreciated that what the very profound comment it was making on biography as storytelling. I feel, though, that Never Look Away went to this territory and was able to explore it in a lot more depth. Yes, the points are Pain and Glory are making it beautiful. Pain and Glory, I think, is more wise and emotionally real. Never Look Away is more slick in my eyes. I, I think Never Look Away... Look, don't get me wrong. I think it's good. Um, and there are some bad films in the competition. Uh, I, there I are a lot more bad than good films in the competition. That's true. Yeah, but um, there's some really good ones. Yeah. Speaking of good ones, is Baccarat playing in the competition? It is. We it should is, talk yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 Oh, but before that, I'd, I'd say definitely I'm um, Dirty God, and I think you know, I, I want a wild card. I mean, I, I still a lot of that. I still get into my head a lot of images from synonyms, and I don't know. Me it's too. Still sticking with me, me. too. I um, totally understand I, I, why. I'd really like a mad, irreverent film because it's I, it may actually propel it to get a broader audience, and so I, would, I just I would just the, like this this chance of it. And you know, syn- synonyms is really funny. Yes, there's a there's a um, we can talk about it next episode, but it's been very f- interesting with regard to synonyms that d- don't die and a few other films, how the audience has and has not responded to comedy. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this a little more with standing up for study, which I think we'll talk about after Baccarat. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the themes of the festival is that people will laugh at anything unless it's funny. 
<laughs> actually, no, I, that, that is, oh, that's, that's sad, but true, actually. It's painfully true, right? And Undog was another amazing example. It's like a light turns on in a long shot and everyone laughs. People were laughing in The Nightingale, and I was yeah. surprised by that. Someone laughed at somebody saying, I'm giving this to you, it's very valuable, in Undog. Oh. If it's sold as a comedy, they'll laugh. But if something like Synonyms is sold as a, you know, a, a rumination on culture and if material is relating to a serious subject like the Israeli-Arab conflict, people won't laugh, even if it's extremely goddamn funny and obviously a joke. Like you were telling me about how Chanel was you know, the, the only, only one, one laughing, laughing at the In Israeli, a separate session yeah. that I was in, where yeah. I was also the only one laughing. Because I, I thought it was pretty funny, yeah. It's up, yeah, Varat was laughing, yeah. <laughs> Varat was also one of the few laughing at this film. I think on this, this may be a perfect... <laughs> so se- intended as a comedy. This may be a perfect segue to just mention Dark Place, the indigenous horror anthology which had its world premiere at the festival last night and is screening again tonight at Dendi Newtown. There are five shorts that have been compiled from this from your local indigenous filmmakers. Um, there is, of the ones that I particularly enjoy the third one which deals with intergenerational trauma and is quite an interesting mood piece and has some fantastic dark visual elements I, I was really good it was short and to the point the fifth one I really liked and it's strange because the preceding four were incredibly dark serious reflections on indigenous issues in Australia but the fifth one was a comedy and it wasn't apparent it was a comedy immediately and I thought I could just imagine being in the cinema. Oh, wait, can we laugh at this? Yes, we can laugh. It's actually hilarious. A little bit, yeah. People won't laugh unless they're given cues to laugh. You actually, need the equivalent of a uh, laugh track, which uh, so I think it was Rod from 2SER pointed out, the dead don't die. You could basically put a laugh track into the silences. That was me. Oh, it was you while we were hanging with Rod. Okay, well, props to Glenn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, pro- pro- props to <laughs> maybe, maybe Rod, just think, Rod, if you're listening, don't steal my stuff. <laughs> but it's interesting, the point you raise. I think a lot of us as audiences because we are so spoiled by mainstream cinema is that we kind of moral police each other in terms of what we should be allowed to laugh and what we're not you know it's interesting how humor in these kind of even supposedly free and festival Mm. experiences gets policed by other people around us but it's also like how good is uh, people's sense of of humor really if they're laughing at things that aren't intended as comedy in on dog because they've been told it's a comedy so they feel like they have to give it a laugh. But how much is it, is it the laughter of, of discomfort? I mean, I, I thought that particularly with synonyms and, that, and some of the laughter was was it was it that they're yeah, feeling I, uncomfortable. So but I think it was intentional yeah. intentional comedy in that film, yeah. though. You know, but because they yeah. didn't say this is a comedy, they they said, "Oh, you, this is a weird, edgy movie." In mm. the like, guide, people weren't laughing. Like the club scene, it's such a hilarious it's sequence. So funny, same as the subway confrontation. Oh, God. The I, I agree with you. This film's really lingering in my mind. <clears throat> a lot of the individual scenes and and it's doing something genuinely new. Is is this in the competition? It is. Yeah, it is I, competition. I, I do, I'd want it to win, but I kind of feel I'm, the same I'm, not, way. I'm not sure it will. Yeah, um, This actually may be the perfect opportunity to talk about Standing Up for Sunny, given it's intentionally about this issue. This had its world premiere at the Sydney Film Festival. It is starring RJ Mitty, who played Walt Jr. of Breaking Bad fame. I mean, with um, RJ, super cool dude, is up on the 2SER page. It is filmed in and around Sydney. You'll see Chippendale, the Hollywood Hotel, Newtown, all in this film, it is about a young character who is a janitor and working at a bar, uh, played by R.J. Mitty. The character has cerebral palsy, and he begins to, at the behest of a radio DJ, a comedian who's very involved at the comedy club, which I'm pretty sure was Cafe Lounge in in Darlinghurst, to help out the that character's girlfriend, who Sonny, who is an aspiring comedian, but her jokes aren't landing as well as she'd want them to so he is um, commissioned to help her out if you can it's a rom-com and if you can guess where the film is going from there then 
You, you can. It's it the is. most. It is the. <laughs> it is a, a abundantly and avowedly predictable movie. It's also a really strange one. I compare the plot wise. It's like the Fred Astaire films of the '30s or the Elvis films of the '50s with. 2000s meet cute um think uh, to the extent that catch my disease god damn it is featured in this movie it's so <laughs> frustrating like why why but look it's it's a fun movie it's sweet the actors um handle the material well yes it's predictable but if you feel like a feel-good movie this is one for you what is interesting about this in terms of the comedy is that Sonny himself played by rj Mitty is a stand-up comedian and deals with issues regarding his disability in the film. And one of the and there's all these sequences where characters either do or don't laugh. And I understand and because they don't know how to react. And um, I understand that at the screenings too, this was an issue where people there were funny sequences, but people weren't laughing because they didn't know. Do I laugh? This is right. When I watched this, it was a screener. I knew. I'm okay to laugh at this. It was funny. And I wish people, if they feel that release, should just do it. No, I, I totally understand. I mean, I have cerebral palsy and I make some pretty dark jokes about it sometimes and a lot of people are uncomfortable about it. So, yeah, it's interesting to see that that's, uh, you know, uh, something that happens all over the world. And, yeah, make people uncomfortable. It's kind of nice. Yeah, props to Arjun for doing this movie and props to making a funny, sweet movie amidst the degradation, terror and horror we've seen and sadness seen in that. so many movies uh, at the festival. Speaking of two films, the lighter that have uh, had big releases at the Baccarat, which you're going to get to, and also the photograph, right? Baccarat first, because it's in the competition. Let's do it. So Baccarat is about a, a small village in Brazil where uh, lorded over by the mayor of a nearby village who uh, is clashing with them over control of water. This film is really setting itself up as a Western and a, an homage to spaghetti Westerns and also John Carpenter kind of uh, siege thriller type films of the 70s and 80s um, shot in anamorphic lenses in widescreen it's got this John Carpenter like font at the beginning you know just the idea of like, of, like controlling the water and really reminded me of things like Once Upon a Time in the West um, it's a strange film in a lot of ways because it opens up getting uh, showing you a bunch of little stories of people in the town and it's designed to get you to feel warmly and connected with the people of Baccarat. Then, um, in order, when it's setting up the threat that they face, instead of fo- uh, maintaining the focus on the characters we know and like, it switches over to focus on the Americans who are coming in with sinister plans for Baccarat. And on, con- on paper, I think this is conceptually a really good idea. You know, almost Tarantino-esque in the way it shifts your focus a bit around. Like, spend a bit of time with a bunch, with some characters, then spend some time with some unrelated characters, and then the confrontation at the end. But the issue is, if you're going to do that, you need to write that well. And uh, the Americans are so obvious, and their um, sort of murderous slapstick scenes with each other are so kind of conventional and cliched that I wish that either these characters would have more depth to them or it would have been better if they he'd stuck with what he was strung at, Kleber Mendoza Filo, uh, um, who directed this with his, with his production designer from um, his first two films. They collaborated on the script and directed, and it's a really well-designed film. But I think it would have been better if they'd stuck to their strengths and focused on the Brazilian people who they have a lot of warmth and love for, as you know reflected in, pre- in previous films like Aquarius. Um, You've got to stick to what's well-written. I mean, there's nothing that brings a community together than an external threat, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting how 
their tone completely changes because the first half of the movie I really thought I was going to be immersed in this community and it's going to be about their kind of squabbles and problems mm. and you really do you're right you really do see the kind of genuine love and empathy that yep. he has for his people and you also kind of see how he doesn't understand the american culture as much because mm. you can all you can see that divide and it's so stark in the movie that you know it's like they're just stand up caricatures almost cardboard cutouts and then yeah. these people are so real and that feels so jarring in the two halves that's and right it just takes your attention off the thing and i think the film is really prone to overstatement you know if cutting away to the americans fine but if you're not going to provide more background to them just give us maybe one or two of these representative scenes i think this film has tried too hard to break with convention and and remix convention when it would already have been interesting and unusual just to be a movie about a collective where you get to know the people of a town as they fight off the external threat. That's already an interesting remix um, because it focuses on the collective instead of the lone hero and it's about standing up against imperialism. Um, But as it is, it kind of feels like this really wayward film and it's not as satisfying as it seems that it's going to be in those opening moments setting up those characters because we haven't seen them in so long by the time there's a payoff for them and totally agree with that i i mean the first half of the film yeah it very much does does draws a very fascinating portrait of a part of brazil that most most people in the world wouldn't know a huge amount about but Mm. it it is deflated by and then it sort of just transitions into a sort of comic yeah comic film which i mean there's some there's some some great comic jokes but whether whether they're gonna gonna linger with you and really alter the you know the the patterns in your mind too much. They were too, too sort of cartoony, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, it just seemed too much to be playing just with the genre. Like, mm. I mean, the the the, the lead the lead um, character, the, the, Amer- the Americans, um, played by... Is it Udo... Udo Kier, I- Udo the German, Kier. Yeah, I mean, which is just, 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 just a, Yeah, I mean, who has sort of played that sort of, that sort of genre role before. Yeah. I, 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 I just thought, yeah, as you said, these these are too, too cardboard cuttish. I mean, it's, it's quite yeah. funny because it is fascinating looking at the gun culture and it could have been explored could in have a been different good. way because there were some really interesting things about the gun yeah. culture and just about um, aspects of race, which right. certainly definitely need to be explored in, in particularly in relation to Brazil and its history. As, as uh, in relation to the location, as you were saying, an interesting area of Brazil that we don't often hear about, um, I got to interview Cleber Mendoza Filo and Juliano Donelis, the co-directors, and uh, they had an interesting point, um, which is that the Seta and the region that the film is set in um, is, was actually one of the few... Um, it's always depicted as this like stark grey landscape with simple people, so they wanted to make a film that celebrates these people and something interesting they told me about the region was that it's one of the few places in the country that completely rejected the Bolsonaro government in the polls. Oh, wow. So it's really about rural people who are opposed to the creeping... Yeah. Um, Which is usually the fascism. narrative is opposite exactly. to that, with the rural areas are the ones that are accepting of fascism. That's what I found so interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. Is, that, that is an interesting part of Brazilian history. I mean, if you read like the 19th century novel, uh, Devils in the Badlands, or Mario Vargas Llosa's update, War and the End of the World, it's a really interesting thing of an actual massive <laughs> challenge to the established government, which was almost virgin right, on well, Marxism, which is yeah, quite... When you can, usually you think of rural areas, you think of conservatism yeah, and... That's right. You know, and just the sort of repetition of rhythms of life. But, that's that's yeah. right. And Baccarat is, is implied in the film to be tied to that sort of history when in the museum you can see articles talking about rebellions <laughs> starting up in Baccarat and having mm. to be quashed and such. You know, and then, it, it, it's interesting because I, I had a friend, I was living with a Brazilian friend in Melbourne and, he, you know, he was from the city and stuff and he's talking about how the term champagne socialist is very popular in Brazil and that's mm. mostly a city term and they hate 
that idea. So it's almost rural areas that are more in yeah. tune with their kind of working class roots, which in- is interesting. Interesting. How yeah. that is inversed in Brazil. Mm. Well, and that, that, that dynamic is looked at in, in that idea of the north and the south too. I mean, it's briefly, and it is a very interesting thing because most of the economic prosperity is based in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro and that is sort of sort of teased out and also in relation to race too mm. Mm. so that is Baccarat the next one we're talking about should we talk Unknown Saint how about oh, we sorry, there was another Unknown one Saint in the photograph sorry the photograph see, that was one yeah photograph first yeah the, the photograph is, is a very interesting film it's uh, by the director Ritesh Patra who also did The Lunchbox which was uh, quite warmly loved he's an interesting director in that he brings about two very unlikely people together in most unlikely circumstances and he's able to create quite empathetic and moving stories around them except that the premises are so far-fetched that if you just take out that central believability of that premise uh, nothing would work so I think his films allow for a level of uh, suspension of disbelief. So if you can buy that suspension of disbelief that this can actually happen, I think the movie, the film actually that he makes or he likes to make are the ones that actually involve you in that world. And even in the photograph, it's a very unlikely premise. You have a tour guide uh, who meets a somewhat reserved uh, woman who's trying to find herself and really understand her voice and what she wants to do in her life. They both come together in the most unlikely of circumstances because he asks her to, you know, would you like a photograph that I want to take? And then that photograph winds up at the tour guide's uh, grandma's house who really wants him to get married. So they pretend to have a fake marriage. It, it is extremely far-fetched, but how incredibly tender and beautiful and empathetic it is. Because you already know from the first five minutes of this film that nothing in this film can be real. But once you go along that journey, it's actually quite uh, tender and loving and beautiful in how things that you don't believe can happen actually do happen. Yeah, I really, I, I really enjoyed this. This was a real, um, a real pleasant surprise. I didn't really know what I was going to come into. I was, I was, I was fearful that it was going to go into that sort of clean sort of sentimentality. But no, I really thought it really fascinatingly explored both the characters' worlds too. So we're talking about the photographer, and you said um, living, you know, in a, in a very very basic accommodation from from the village, um, you know, limit, limit, limited opportunity, you know, very much. All of his friends have been drawn into arranged marriages, and he's trying to elude, elude just being forced into that sort of existence. And and also the the the, the other character that um, he meets, um, the, the the love interest. I thought that was really interesting. That even even her life, that her you know obviously with the privilege and you know, the ability to get an education and have the upward mobility and travel, and to, to to escape some of the aspects that most Indians do not have the chance to 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 escape. I thought it was a really interesting look at her her own struggles with her own sort of. She, in her own way, is trapped in her, her, her sort of uh, expectations. Yeah, I mean, uh, the performances are really what elevate this film from a you know, simple, far-fetched narrative into something which is more felt. I mean, Navadadeen Siddiqui, who's been a Anurag Kashyap favourite and he's done, like, amazing work with him, gets to deliver a much more nuanced performance in this. He's, he's a lot more sort of commonplace because he's played, like, you know, gangsters in a lot of movies, so he's actually done a lot more in-your-face kind of roles. But this is actually very down-to-earth, very sort of, you know, turned down and it's very understated performance. Even the female protagonist, Anya Malotra, she's just underplayed it so well. And her ability to actually communicate so much without much dialogue, it's it's fascinating in this film. But she doesn't have much to say. In fact, her character is you know, written in a way that she's reserved and she can't really express herself much. But she does express so much through her eyes and through her expressions and through what she's not saying. It's, it's fascinating. 
it's a beautiful film actually I think everyone should check it out yeah and, and, and it doesn't it doesn't go in the sort of territory where you're oh, oh that's it's going to have the the, the, the tied, tied yeah it's, tied. it's not the usual rom-com that so, you expect yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's kind of beautiful like that yeah, yeah. highly recommended yes so that is Photograph um, we are wrapping up here but we're continuing on the podcast please do subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and if you are listening now the podcast just keep on listening we're going to talk about The Unknown Saint and a few more films that have screened will be screening and will be getting it in release we will also be doing our big festival wrap on Wednesday at 7.30pm when the late editions will have finished and we'll be talking oh what are our favourites what are our least favourites and some of the general themes about this year's Sydney Film Festival I'd like to thank Stephen for joining us and talking all things movies and yeah just I guess five, we've got a minute left whatever everyone's just broad thoughts on what has been a pretty crazy 12 days I've had some pretty amazing highs again some of the best films I've seen all year some of those um, some strange themes and consistencies between a few of the films which we'll go on to talk about next Wednesday. There have been some very good films but there have been a lot of negatives to focus on. There's definitely some fatigue from watching too many okay films. Great films were in short supply I think and when I say great I mean really good ones. There have been a lot of solidly good ones. Um, it's okay. I'll save you most of my thoughts for the next episode. Yeah, yes, I, I agree with everyone. I think the films were, uh, you know, they were okay and I think that's kind of wearing you down a bit but, you know, some of them are, you know, stand out. But if you are listening now, there's still a day left of screening. So go sff.org.au, check out and, some films, and Check out enjoy. the late editions. One we'll be talking about next episode that was very strong is Midnight Family after Glenn gets to catch the special yes. edition. Yes, so there's been Glenn and Fiance, Chris Evans of Right and Rue. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we're pumping up the jam. Um, you want to explain where we uh, yeah. got this marvelous tune from? Yeah, uh, this <laughs> is yeah, <laughs> this is really stuck with me from synonyms. Uh, the most probably the funniest scene of the festival, and so I had to pay tribute to it in Film Fight Club music selection. I've had a lot of fun uh, hanging out in Tent Seat in Israel, so yeah, um, I appreciated that. Though this wasn't one I was expecting, but yes, synonyms. I will be seeing it hopefully soon. Hopefully, hopefully, it's it gets so funny. Released. Glenn commented like. There really hasn't been enough dancing this festival, and then swapped out of synonyms. Yeah, yeah, my my bad call. <laughs> you just even today, I'm thinking you're just popping out and seeing. I really want to see animation. I really want to see Children of the Sea, but the amazing Jonathan just sounds so good. So maybe do that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm catching it too. So I might, I might just have to. All right, so the next film, we've got a few more films to talk about on the podcast. The first up is the second African film I got at this festival, which is The Unknown Saint, which was a late edition from Cannes. It is a Moroccan film. It is essentially the plot from Blue Streak, where in the first few minutes, to show you just how efficient the storytelling is, a character um, drops a bag of something valuable in what he makes to look like a grave, is captured, sent to prison, comes out, expects to pick up his loot, and finds that... Uh, the locals have erected a shrine to an unknown saint, which they assume was the subject of this burial. I really liked this. We caught this the other night. Um, what did we think of the unknown saint? I think it's um, it's actually very funny and uh, very well paced, very well constructed. Um, I think it it's very reminiscent of Aki Kurosaki's films, from the kind of flat visual compositions to the deadpan style of the jokes, uh, mixed with a kind of subtle absurdity and the focus on you know, various people in a town with their stories intersecting. Um, it's, I think, very funny and astute in its satire. 
about uh, the way that people attach themselves to fads, you know, perhaps in the in the pursuit of looking more more pious or righteous to be doing the right thing that everybody else is doing instead of thinking about the long term good of the community. And um, yeah, it's really about what we choose to value. It's about the materialism versus fears of, um, you know, not being, I, I guess, outwardly expressive of religion enough. Um, it, there's a lot of interesting uh, plot development in this. Uh, yeah, it, it, again, it's a kind of heist film, people yeah. planning a heist, and the, but the way that the narrative flows out of that is unusual. Um, the, the dog ends up being a really interesting uh, figure in the film and about like it's the dog's value to a community. Um, yeah, it's hard to say much more without spoiling it too much, but I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. I think this is an example for people who saw The Dead Don't Die and didn't relish it too much of how deadpan can work exceptionally well. It's well. funny it's a good because, between the two leads. You know, we just saw a really bad Jim Jarmusch film and the, the filmmaker most similar to Jim Jarmusch is Aki Korosmaki, so much so that Jim Jarmusch has been in one of mm-hmm. Aki Korosmaki's films and it was just so refreshing coming out of a bad example of this style to go into a really good example of this style. Um, a few things I really appreciated about this. It's a very simple plot, which um, is expanded upon the hilarious ways that they are thwarted in getting uh, what they want. And when I say a shrine, I don't mean some big, huge place. It's a tiny little building, which they keep having these obstacles to dealing with. And what I really liked about this, though, was that the town, it's a small town, there were, only, there were less than 100 people, but you got to know all the characters of this town, and the town is a character in and of itself, whether it be the doctor, whether it be the people in the barbershop, whether it be um, some of the secondary characters, you really understood the personality. And it also dealt really well with how we perceive faith, but also how even those who are reticent to embrace faith um, handle issues of religion and piety. And while it is a separate issue, to um, simple superstition, which is distinct, but uh, woven into this film in quite hilarious and interesting ways, uh, particularly um, with the deployment of some thunder later in the movie. I'd recommend this. I had a real joy watching it. It's one of those ones that God exists where I was sold on the premise, but the execution was so much way, better. Way, way better. Way, way better. better. So that is The Unknown Saint. The next film we are talking about is Our Time. <clears throat> Oh, sorry about that. I just got someone stuck in my throat. Um, the, so the Mexican film Our Time uh, by um, Mexican auteur uh, Carlos Rodriguez. Now this is a three-hour film, and you know there's been sometimes when you get those three-hour films, there's a bit of trepidation, a bit, a bit, bit, bit. But I thought this this is a very impressive film. I didn't get particularly early reviews, and there wasn't a lot of people in the cinema. Uh, but yeah, it's a really interesting film about. Um, Mexican. It's about based around the uh, relationship of a Mexican rancher, Mexican rancher and a poet, uh, and his wife, and then um, and, and and the trust they have in their relationship, which is um, is punctured after um, after they're visited by a gringo uh, who was actually a horse um, horse tamer. Is that, the, is that the correct term? Horse tamer? Horse breaker? Uh, horse breaker? Horse breaker. Yeah. Horse breaker is the, the better term. Yes. Um, anyway. I, I, I thought it really did do this very well. Um, for, 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 for a film about infidelity and lack of trust, um, it, it kept me engaged for, for three hours, which I I was a little bit worried that it was. But it's just so so much um, great great use of uh, visual image. I mean, he's got a great great eye and was able to sort of. He's he's really a descendant of Tarkovsky. Mm, yeah. He's aiming for that kind of experience. Like Terence Malick, or yeah, mm. yeah. But um, yeah, Malik Malik 
I compared him to last episode in terms of the really wired imagery of nature um, and focus on the image. But it's definitely, I think it's Tarkovsky it calls to most of all because it's full of these very long tracking shots that uh, Tarkovsky was the, the master of. Um, but I've never really enjoyed one of his films before. I thought they were all good uh, with things holding them back. This one is definitely a progression in terms of his style. Um, it feels like a little bit less like a stilted art movie than some of the things he's done before. It feels a bit more um, natural in terms of how the narrative flows, but also more ambitious than ever before in terms of the way that he lays out poetic imagery. Um, but just something, thinking more and more about the film. Okay, so Car- the, part of the gimmick of this is that Carlos Regardas is playing the main character, Juan, in his acting debut, and his real-life wife is playing a character with her own name. And it's sort of, a, uh, here's our breakup story. Like, it, you question the degree of autobiography slash exaggeration of his his actual personality. And I've been saying to people, if uh, you were to tell me that there, there's a really narcissistic art film director, I would assume it's Carlos Regatas. Like, if anyone who has been, I would guess, is in person, I don't know that he is for certain, but if any, if someone's films reflect who they are, I would presume that this guy might be a narcissist. And lo and behold, he's playing a mega narcissist in this film. And it you kind of start to wonder, like, the act of confession kind of feels like an act, action, not so much of humility as narcissism here. Like, I can show you how much of a narcissist I am directly in a movie where I play myself and you're going to love it because it's art and I'm bearing my soul and being, you know, I'm showing you who I really am. But... There's a narcissism to focusing on the uh, give. Sorry, there's a narcissism to telling a story of a very intimate drama between three people um, and a breakup, but giving it this mega spiritual significance in terms of the um, the way imagery is used. And probably what Regardus is going for is to make you feel the emotions that the characters are feeling. But for me, the um, in term to show that uh, moments like this can be, you know, world shaking through the perspective of the characters. But because the drama just isn't well written enough, I found it kind of overblown. I thought the imagery is is arresting and incredible. And what Ray Gar- the reason why the film is still good, and what <laughs> Ray Gardas has over other directors who are making these kinds of protracted, slow art films with a um, grandiose presentation is that he actually has an unusual talent for images and images that speak to the narrative as opposed to just filling out the dead air with pretty uh, scenery, which is how I feel a lot of these slow art films have been doing this festival. So I give him props as a director, um, but it definitely does feel overblown and too self-serious to me. Um, but you know, as I said before, it's an interesting progression of his style and he could be gearing up to make a masterpiece that's going to absolutely blow me away in the future. We'll see. I it, mean, all I can't get is just, yeah, the, the visuals, it's like there's some incredible scenes like that scene with the, the, the airplane going over Mexico yeah, city, landing, flying um, through clouds and, and landing in the city as seen from the perspective, not, not shot on like a GoPro shot on a real beautiful high quality camera, giving you the perspective of, of this like gray, even, you know, twilight hour touchdown in through mexico city um doing that over a voiceover of a character bearing their soul in a letter being read out just there's these great moments of these things that don't necessarily go together on any literal level like it does is yeah she's it's her character flying back in but it starts to work on this poetic level of giving the things she's thinking about while she's on the plane this huge 
kind of emotional significance through the this imagery the same as um and the twinning the twinning of the sort of turmoil she's going through and she's seen through mm. the, the the concept the tim timpani and yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. just had a real intensity that it's usually almost like you know yeah, something yeah. out of like the godfather mm. you know here's a big opera scene kind of to mm. show that we're at this grand point in the narrative i i do appreciate that mm. he's going out on a limb in terms of how expressive he's choosing to be with mm. his his directing and you know lingering over these there's an amazing moment where the camera ends this long tracking conversation shot and suddenly just stops in place to watch a sunset for a bit. And it's, I, it's, this is a festival where, again, I've gotten sick of long art held art movie shots, but he manages to actually hit on something beautiful and beautiful in an unusual way so that I appreciate being given a longer time to stare at it. So this film does a lot of things really well. It just, I think the central drama just, it it is interesting. It, it raises some interesting themes, yeah. but it is ultimately all, too self indulgent. A lot of it communicated through letters and sort of, which is quite interesting. Yeah, so and emails. Back on, yeah, and yeah. emails and um, mm. internet conversations. I thought that was quite an interesting. I mean, that interesting has been, is the that, word for this film. I think, but really, yeah, maybe yeah. Not, not as profound as it potentially could have been. Yes. Yeah. Um. It does remind me of Nuri Bilchelan approach to drama, actually, and he is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And he's yeah, also climates, someone yeah. who, in interviews, is always talking about his debt to Tarkovsky. Mm. So yeah, interesting. Mm. So that is our time. The next film we are talking about is So Long, My Son. So this one I caught at the State Theatre on a whim, and I'm so glad I did. Um, this is one of the best films of the festival. It's really a uh, kind of epic drama focusing on the ramifications of incidents in a couple's life related to the one-child policy. Um, incidences of things that happened um, in their raising of their children and in their relationships and interactions with you know, a friend who's a Communist Party official and various other people who'll enter into their life. To say too much more is to spoil it a little bit, but it's really about the you know the suffering of one couple and they're looking back. And the way that um, this long narrative has been presented, instead of the conventional showing you um, the present moment and flashbacks kind of approach or a more linear presentation, it's, very, it's a very strange um, kind of unfolding uh, presentation where multiple timelines uh switched between without really any context initially um and so i found this in, uh, confusing eventually i settled in and understood everything that was going on but i felt like it was a kind of false mystery in this presenting the narrative in this non-linear way when um i think the emotional outside of a few moments it would have been just as emotionally powerful uh, if it had been presented in a more linear narr- in a more linear matter, I felt like it was really just a way of like dressing up the narrative and creating a degree of artificial suspense in the telling. However, it is it does draw you into its world because the detail feels so rich and real, and the, there are huge scale emotions to this, and actually incredibly beautiful payoffs. Um, it's a narrative that seems kind of loose, but it's actually very intricate in how all the events on it tie uh, together, and it uses its three hours the best out of all the three hour films I've seen at this festival um, in that it really funnels every moment you've experienced into these big moments of cathartic release. So I think this is one of the best films of the year. So that is So Long My Son. Uh, thank you for that. Um, it is, the next one we're talking about is screening as very different as part of the Freak Me Out strand, which has come to Daddy, which is by New Zealand director Ant Timpson. He's had his, what the world premiere of a few of these movies at the festival, the ABCs of Death, a couple of years ago, and 
one of my all-time favourites in the film festival screenings in 2015, Deathgasm, which was quite a fun one. This was also premiered in Dendy Newtown. It is starring Elijah Wood. It is the only Elijah Wood film set and, and so filmed in New Zealand, which was not written by J.R.R. Tolkien. That's a nice little thing to its, oh. <laughs> to its credit. And in this, he plays a young man who has not seen his father in 30 years and gets a cryptic letter to, to come out to visit his father in what is a nice house, but essentially still a cabin in the woods. Um, I had a, My interview with And is up on the 2SCR page. I really enjoyed chatting with him about the film because it elucidated a lot of what is special and interesting about it in that and I thank And for opening up, but it is based on a very tragic experience. It is based on the death of his father, um, for which he was present, and then following that, um, the the body of his father was stored or kept in his father's home for quite some time uh, following the death. And this, these sequences, similar sequences similar to this, where Elijah Wood has to contend with a body in the house quite some time, are very confronting and are and feed into what is the more horrific aspects of this film. And yeah, those are the best sequences in the film for me because they were staggered, they were staged well, um, and they took the time to tell the story and deliver uh, very subtly. And conversely, what we come to expect in horror films during the daytime, some excellent scares. I liked Elijah Wood's performance in this film. Um, the uh, sorry, Smiley, who was in Madame last year, um, had a role in this. He was very good. The one thing that frustrated me about this film, and I don't mind a film uh, veering from horror into traditional gore slash a shock affair, certainly this did, but I feel I like it when there is a mix of this, but also characters either one-upping up, one upping or outsmarting each other, and this film, it very much depended on who could stabby-stabby the most and who could be the most violent and brutal. And yes, that is a, st- a stalwart and hallmark of many of these types of slash affair, but it is but one aspect of it which makes um, some of their counterparts more memorable. I feel it could have used a bit more considered scripting in that regard, um, particularly towards the ending where things do wrap up quite quickly. Having said that, I really liked Elijah Wood's performance. The setup for this was really good. There's a twist about halfway through, which fed very well to had a bit of an unconventional approach on the traditional haunted house fair. Lastly, and I had a got a discussion about this, and we're seeing in modern day with the advent of mobile phones that most horror films are the plots are archaic. They wouldn't happen nowadays simply because you have a mobile phone. And there's a really frustrating video on YouTube, which is a compilation of hundreds of films where people have said, "I can't get reception. I can't get reception," <laughs> just to establish that they can't do it. And this, I'd put this in the league of Better Watch Out, which we did at the City Film Festival a few years ago, where they have a really creative way, a really creative way of dealing with this issue, which isn't just entertaining and addresses it but and what very really does better watch out also did it so well actually feeds into the plot in a way that you won't expect and actually recommends the film unto itself so i really appreciated that that has come to daddy it is screening again tonight at dendy newtown as part of the freak me out strand uh program at richard kuypers so if you are into those sorts of scary shocker gore fests do check it out the next film we are talking about is um, a mongolian film which screened at the festival which is on dog Okay. When this film came out, um, somebody said, was it fun? It was a sold out session. So I assumed she wanted to get into it. And, uh, you know, she was seeing the next film at Dendi Upper Keys and wondering what I thought. And I said, fun, because fun is really not the word that came to mind. Mm -hmm. This film was incidentally sold as a a comedy and it definitely has comedy elements, but uh, it's not a comedy. Someone should tell that to the audience who laughed at everything, as I alluded to earlier in the show. Um, But I said to this lady, look, it's, I, uh, there are way too many slow, 
art films that I've seen this festival, but there are too few people who have the kind of thoughts and ideas necessary to, to fill those silences and create interest with that kind of setup. Um, to expand on that comment I made to her, I think it's becoming sort of just a shtick that if that it's assumed that long held shots on on something that's visually pretty is enough. Um, like Monos. Oh yeah, oh my absolutely. God. But on Dog, um, there's a few moments uh, interesting visually and well shot, like um, looking at a camel blocking the view of a campfire at nighttime and seeing mm-hmm. that this its strange shape just as a flickering outline, um, or the way that some of these long camera held shots are interrupted by sudden crazy crash zooms. Um, but as a whole, I found this to be just kind of not having much. And like a lot of films at festivals generally selling itself on, you know, showing you an exotic way of life with non-professional actors, but that's almost becoming like a formula for festival films. Like here's how the Eskimos do it. or Here's how it is in Mongolia. And it's a small story about, one person who's sad and needs to be warm or something like that. Like I'm being reductive um, when I describe the plots that way, but I think you've probably seen a film like this before. Um, I don't think this one added that much that was new. It felt like, you know, it's... um, Well, yeah, what I found interesting is that the actual murder mystery which opens it is just totally incidental. It goes away. It it doesn't actually... Yeah, it's it's like there for 10 minutes and then... And in some of the visuals later on when we go to... Uh, we go to a morgue that, you know, an autopsy mm. looks like it's about to take place. Yeah. Um, and it feels a little bit like Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, good, this might be a bit of a Once Upon a Time where there v- may be a bit of a sort of exploration yeah. of sort of suspicious characters. Or yeah. The unusual aspects of, of It was very visually, life, it visually like Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, yeah. you know, the dead air of a character mm. stopping and thinking about something while they're looking at a body in a morgue. Mm. But ultimately... You know, the movie wants to end in the kind of uplifting way. Mm-hmm. So it f- focuses away from that. And it um, it's this kind of wayward narrative as a result. Uh, that could have been potentially interesting, and it I didn't, think. And also the other option was to potentially have an e- a very interesting ecological look at Mongolia. I mean, there's an excellent Chinese novel, uh, Wang Ruiyang, called Wolf Totem, which was made into a film. Really fascinating territory about the sort of changing in, in, in Mongolia and outer Mongolia. And I was thinking that may have been, I mean, you, you saw that excellent Bulgarian film about the Inuit. Uh, was it one or two film festivals ago? Aja. 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 I'm not sure if that was a, it was a Russian book. film. Was it Russian? It was Bulgarian? set in Siberia. Set in Siberia, but it was yeah, using <laughs> Inuit characters. It's very even, much, even well, yeah. I, thought that, of, that, I thought they had a lot more ideas going for it. Was, this. Aga was one of the films I was thinking about when I thought of this one, when I was describing this kind of loose genre. A better example of the narrative of this kind of narrative that not many people have seen is Mongolian ping pong. Which is about the life of children and and in Mongolia when they find a ping pong ball, um, much more interesting than this. I think essentially it just feels like in developing its characters a little bit, but then not going all the way with them, as well as holding every single shot, whether or not there's ac- anything actually interesting about these characters or about this setting that are worth watching for that long. It's not bad, no. but it's. It's kind of empty. Listening to you, it reminds me of the. Uh, I really liked Arga. I really liked the incredible Vista Argo shots. Was better, but it opened with a really frustrating two-minute shot of a character playing a musical instrument, which was interesting, but it had no tonal, or thematic, or plot relevance to the rest of the film. They just threw it in there. So it's, we'll, this we'll, sounds like a lot of this movie. We'll get into um, this in the next episode, but 
Tarkovsky in, you know, revolutionized cinema with these slow, long, slow shots as diversions from the narrative. But the, the idea was that they were meant to be spaces for you to think about the spiritual or uh, character ramifications of what was going on on screen. You have to have substance if you're going to ask people to be alone. Otherwise, you're just giving them a whole lot of nothing, which is ultimately what I think this film and a lot of the long, slow movies at the festival are doing. Just a, a lack of ideas masked by a long take oh, aesthetic. There were so many of these frustrating scenes in Monos. Interestingly, it was mirrored in Sybil, where you see shots of the Turkish wilderness. However, I feel those were at key moments in the film where he really digests. So I feel that was an example of how that could be well paced. It seems On Dog is not. It's not. The next film we're talking about is, oh, uh, Clean Up. Yeah, that's just a really interesting. Uh, this is a South Korean film. Uh uh, just good to see a more understated film within, within, and, and something which is just a slightly different uh, tempo to a lot of the films. Uh, so this is a story called uh, about um, this this girl who's working you know, in low 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 income Korea um, as a as a as a cleaner, um, and suddenly she discovers that her, she's got a new colleague that's been just out on work work release from prison. And it, um, and, and as as the backstory um, develops, we we, we realise that she actually her her past life that she was actually involved in something that actually was damaging and early early on in his life. I'm not going to sort of I'm trying not to avoid sort of spoilers in case people are are, are going to check this out. Um, so we we have this sort of idea of a sort of a redemption narrative that sort of develops here, but and a sort of relationship develops. I mean, it's an interesting look at also how Korea still looks at ex-cons and look, and looks at people of lower class. In, in this too, but 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 it is. I think that the that the redemption narrative thing is quite quite interesting, and um, she, her she very much still she, to to sort of escape um, some dark aspects of her life. She's very much um, drawn to the to the Christian religion and religion, and so she she, she sees this as a, as a as a way of, of redeeming herself for past acts. But I thought this film was really interesting in the way it it it, it, it sort of challenges those sort of conventions. So um, def- definitely one for something a little bit more off kilter, um, and definitely for as a Korean film with a different sort of tempo to to, to, to Parasite, maybe yeah, to, to Parasite, definitely. So, yes. So that is clean up. Um, I've only seen one Korean film at the festival, but it is my uh, probably my favorite. We will be going on to talk about that mm. on Wednesday and in the coming weeks because it will get a general release. I'm excited to talk next week about our favorites. I feel for me, Parasite, Pain and Glory, Never Look Away are really up there. And oh, it's going to be good unpacking this, and certainly over the months to come, as these films definitely. I'm interested in talking about the general trends of the festival as well. Yes, um, I, I think violence, as we've seen, particularly violence against violence women, has been a very prominent yeah. theme. As has, um, well, slow cinema. It's not a theme, but the slow cinema aesthetic and the way that people are putting together art films these days, I think, is generally worth talking about as well. And interesting how art films have been put together with um, others in the festival, where I, whether the look at the official competition and the diversity you have, what is the background? But you also have the likes of Dead Don't Die in Palm Beach, and it's it's quite a diverse sledge. Another one uh, we'll be talking about in the coming. We will be talking about her smell. Mm. I'm catching Midnight Family, and I'm catching Yesterday Tonight, which is the Danny Boyle Beatles film. I'll be catching along with Verite. I'm pretty sure. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So I'm I will too. To talk yeah, about Monday, as, yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll begin to talk about that one. And there are some late editions on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So the one of the, some of the popular ones they haven't sold out yet. Um, that'll be screening additional times. Um, thank you for joining us. And if you are listening, 
go to the City Film Festival. There's still a day left and still some stuff you can catch. And three more nights. And three more nights. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Four more nights if we include today. Yes. <laughs> this is, and this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Stephen Hill, Chris Evans, and Bright Nehru. Have a wonderful afternoon. I said good night earlier. You should have a wonderful afternoon because it is still the afternoon. <laughs> enjoy movies. Enjoy the Sydney Film Festival. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Good afternoon.